This podcast is brought to you by Trend. Trend is a micro-influencer marketing platform that helps connect brands with influencers. Learn more, join our network, or start an influencer campaign at trend.io. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the DTC pod. I'm your host, Jay. And today we have a great guest with us, Aja Singer, who is a creative and brand strategy consultant for mission-driven DTC brands. Aja is going to be talking a lot about up-and-coming brands in the DTC space and DTC trends. She also has her own newsletter, which is really awesome, and I'm sure she'll tell you more about it as well in the podcast that includes a bunch of information on brands and trends and all of that good stuff. But before we dive into everything we have planned out, AJ, I'll go ahead and pass the mic over to you um, if you want to give a quick little intro about yourself and tell us more about what you do. Yeah, for sure. I am Brooklyn-based brand and content strategist. I, As you mentioned, I mostly work with direct-to-consumer brands, as well as as dabbling a little bit in healthcare apps and, and that type of thing, but primarily working with companies building consumer products. I'm very passionate about the consumer journey and working with brands that are offering products that are differentiated and creating something new and meaningful. Um, and I also write a newsletter called For the Love that's, again, about mission-driven brands and direct-to-consumer trends and sharing that knowledge around you know the projects that I'm working on and founders that I'm speaking to and the learnings that, that they've had and, and also that I've had over the years in, in direct-to-consumer. That's awesome. And I know we're going to unpack a lot of that stuff over there. But before we do jump in into all of those cool things, I'd love to learn like uh, how like you got into the brand creative and product design and all of that good stuff over there in your career. Yeah, um, I've had a bit of a winding career. I started out very much in fashion and built a brand for myself. I was the co-founder of a women's women's contemporary fashion brand that was sold at major retailers, including Saks and Intermix and a bunch of places, and got into it because I really just loved making clothes. But for any of you listening that have been a founder, you know that the actual creation of the product ends up being a very small part of your job. So I, I quickly realized how much I enjoy kind of that, the brand side messaging, you know, visual identity and marketing all through the lens of connecting with consumers and really understanding what they want from the brand, what they're responding to and providing the best service to them basically. So I wanted to connect more fully with customers because we were, as I mentioned, a wholesale brand. So I was seeing how many steps there were, how many people there were between myself and the end user of our product. So really wanted to get in direct to consumer and ended up partnering up with two women who were founding women's workwear brand called Of Mercer at the time. And I came on as the creative director, so handling all you know, creative aspects of the brand and really got immersed in the direct-to-consumer community that way. What are some of the things that you kind of learned from that experience? I know you're not 
part of that founding team anymore and you're doing your consultant work, but what are some of the things that you kind of learned and took away that you've uh, incorporated into your consulting business? So something that I think differentiates me from other consultants is having been part of a founding team at a brand and having stayed there for over six years, I have a deep understanding of how a brand needs to evolve over time, which is very different than just, you know, the consulting work that I do often now is working on a project and then you kind of hand it off to the brand and they run with it. So gaining an understanding for how a brand is going to evolve over time and best preparing the brand messaging and and visual assets to evolve alongside the needs of a growing company is something that was really useful in in gaining experience in-house before starting to consult. Awesome. So I know you mentioned that, you know, understanding how a brand kind of evolves over time and you were there for six years working at that brand how i guess if you could kind of maybe provide some insight or examples into how brands do typically evolve and how their messaging has to evolve how their visual identity has to evolve and what are some of the things that other people listening that might be e-commerce founders or marketers or interested in starting a business some questions that they might need to potentially consider as their brand sort of evolves and and really starts to take shape. Yeah, so it starts with really getting to understand who your customer is. And by that, I mean going beyond profiling who you think your customer is and developing, you know, a persona for your ideal customer. That is not always necessarily indicative of who is actually shopping your brand. So I I highly recommend having one-on-one conversations and really doing a deep dive into who is actually engaging and shopping with you. That's something that I always do with my consulting clients. But through that, gaining an understanding for where they are in their lives and using your intuition to figure out where that goes. So in you know a very simplistic example for Of Mercer, when we started the brand... Our network was mostly women in their mid-20s, early 30s, very career-oriented. And so that was the core consumer when we first launched. And as you may guess, over six years, those same customers are getting married, starting families, and have a much more multifaceted life as time progresses. So, you know, we launched maternity wear that was also work appropriate and nursing friendly and, you know, is echoed in all of the branding, visuals, messaging as well, making sure that your customers know that you understand where they're at in their lives. Yeah. And I think that's an important point that you just brought up. You know, we talk a lot about on the podcast over here talking about lifetime value and building customers that stay with your brand almost forever. But I don't think one thing that's hit on often enough, and you kind of talked about that, which is you've got to also think about how your customer is evolving over time, which is an interesting point that I don't think a lot of people talk about as much. So that was a really great insight over there into thinking about that. And, you know, one of the other questions I wanted to ask you as well, as we're kind of talking about 
brand evolution, you know, being at that company for six years, I'm sure there was a lot of things that you and your team probably tracked or, or listened to and talking to customers and kind of getting those qualitative data points on the business. So I'd be kind of curious to learn as well when you're thinking about, you know, hey, my brand needs to potentially evolve either whether that's in messaging or visual identity or even like the product offerings that you have that I know you mentioned as well. What are some of those signs that brands can kind of look for and see? Are they just things that happen organically, but more so like what are those signs that brands can kind of pay attention to and kind of look at and say, oh yeah, these are things that I should see. And I know that this is when my brand might potentially be evolving and I need to be prepared for that. Um, I think there is on an intuitive level, just seeing what sales are like, what types of products your customers are gravitating towards, seeing what else is happening in the larger scale of brand identity and shopping, because there are sort of these larger trend cycles that you you also want to be cognizant of, not that you're chasing trends, but aware of how people are conversing, you know, like now memes are a part of, of many brands. They're not right for everyone, but that was not a thing <laughs> 10 years ago. So just making sure you, you understand what's happening in broader culture and adapting if it is aligned with your particular brand identity. But in terms of something a little more tactical, like I cannot stress enough having direct conversations with customers, both your top customers and customers that have maybe, you know, made a large purchase and returned everything, if they're willing to have a conversation with you, that's also great to get an understanding of like what is and what is not resonating with them. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. And those are some great tactical tips over there. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, what you're working on right now. And I know you speak with a lot of entrepreneurs, especially in the e-commerce space. Can you share with us some kind of key learnings that you've gotten from those conversations or any knowledge that you might be able to pass to others that are in e-commerce direct-to-consumer? Well, one major trend that I've seen over the past year or so in terms of new brands launching is just really having a some type of mission or values focus and really understanding who your customer is when you're speaking to them, what what demographic they are, again, what their values are. Those have a lot more importance now over like, you know, where does this person live and what age they are. Values focused shopping is is how people are are spending money now. That is definitely establishing that before you launch and embedding it within the entire brand is definitely easier than trying to, you know, attach some sort of mission to an existing brand. So I would highly recommend if you have not launched yet to do some thinking on that. The other thing that I've been noticing is that brands are experimenting a lot more and having more fun. You know, they're not sticking so strictly to a specific set of brand guidelines in the way that maybe direct-to-consumer have traditionally in the past. And 
you know, you see with the evolution of, of social media, even with TikTok, it's like a much less polished version of people and brands than we've seen before. And I think that that direction will continue. So, you know, lean into values and honesty and authenticity, which has kind of become a bit of a dirty word in brand. But but I mean it in the way where not everything is contrived and, you know, immaculately polished, just showing who you are and being honest. Are you interested in DTC and e-commerce content? Join Trend's exclusive community for everything DTC, the DTCers community. We're talking marketing, product, growth, and more, all about DTC. Go to trend.io slash podcast. That's T-R-E-N-D dot I-O slash podcast. And look for the Slack community link to claim your invite. We hope to see you on there. Yeah, and there's so many ways to do that. And I'm glad that you touched on that point over there, especially, you know, talking about TikTok. It feels like every brand nowadays has the ability to create tons and tons of content that TikTok's basically made, you know, everyone that uses the platform a video editor. And there's tons of different things that are out there now. Um, I know you touched on a, a few of the trends that you've heard and seen from paying attention and talking to other e-commerce entrepreneurs. And I know you also have your newsletter that you mentioned for the love that's for branding, direct-to-consumer trends, talking about mission-driven companies. And you talk a lot about cool brands and cool products on there. What are some other interesting trends or even brands that you're paying attention to and things that other founders or people that are interested in starting their own brand should also be watching out for? Yeah. So the ones I just mentioned are definitely, you know, ongoing conversations I'm having with a lot of new founders. The other piece I would add is community and community building. And again, if at all possible, building that into the fabric of the brand before launching. Because of this focus on values and mission, a brand can be more than just selling a product. People are looking for like-minded people to connect with. So if a brand can be that hub and create a space where people can have conversations that they wouldn't normally feel comfortable having other places or maybe don't know where to find other people that are necessarily interested in the same things as you. I think that it's an incredibly powerful tool if brands can use it effectively. Yeah. And community is pretty popular in the e-commerce space right now. What are some good examples for those listening of ways to potentially foster those communities, whether it's tools or tactics to potentially do to to really build up that that brand trust. Yeah, for sure. For anyone listening that's interested in community, I have some very tactical breakdowns of it in my newsletter if you want to take a look there. But on a high level, people need to know what they are there for and what they are supposed to do there. So creating a Slack channel where people can discuss 
you know, a vague topic around a product is not necessarily going to get you that conversation and interaction that that you want. You need to start conversations, provide direction for the people that are coming to your community, and create programming around that community. People are coming there to connect with each other, but they still need topics of discussion. They still need some direction and instruction because I'm sure, you know, we've all been part of these like Slack groups that, you know, you're excited to join and then realize that no one's really engaging and you just stop using it. You need to create reasons for people to come back and continue to ask questions. And there are some topics that are obviously easier to create that discussion around than others. But you can see it in Facebook groups. There are people that are excited to talk about basically everything. You just need to give them the right tools to do that. Yeah, and I kind of think about it as uh, content planning, essentially, for communities. Is that right? Yeah, definitely. Like dedicating, it is time consuming. You need the manpower behind it. Like you need someone in there managing it. And hopefully, ideally, there are community members that are so excited about what you're building that they want to take part in that process. But it takes nurturing for sure. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, the last thing I want to touch on, especially on that community thing over there, is you talked about potentially kind of like enabling those people in the community that do want to talk and start those conversations. Are those people in the community, the ones that are very active, are those people that you should be actively reaching out to and engaging to potentially be the content planner and do some of that content management? Or is it something that, hey, we're going to talk to these people to get feedback and then maybe have some sort of community manager do the execution of it. What do you think the best approach is over there? Do you have any suggestions? I mean, both. If you have someone that wants to get involved, that's fantastic. Empowering community members and, and shoppers is honestly the best way to gain you know, brand trust and develop the trust with those people. And I think if there are people within your community that want to be those brand evangelists and actually get involved and help you grow the brand, like absolutely you should take them up on it. I recently profiled this brand called Little Spoon that is a baby and toddler food. And they brought their customers in in so many different ways, including like most of their customer service representatives are previous customers that just, you know, started conversations with the brand and were so excited to help other people, you know, navigate this process of what you should be feeding your kids and and how to get over hurdles and at that stage of their lives that they wanted to be more involved and like power to little spoon for hearing that and creating ways for these people to get involved. Yeah, talk about being as customer-centric as possible over there. I don't think it gets any better than that. Exactly. Cool. Um, well, in your newsletter, you've also, I think I was reading one of your recent publishings, which talked a little bit about some visual design and different things over there on the, the brand creative front. I, I know you talked to a lot of entrepreneurs and we talked about that. What are some of the things that we can expect to see in direct-to-consumer 
in kind of the next 12 months? What is what does the future look like over there, whether it's on the brand creative front, whether it's on the strategy front? I'd love to hear what you've kind of heard since you are so close to the ground. Yeah, I in terms of visuals, brands are going to continue to be more playful and bold. We've seen a very strong move away from the sans serif pastel, very clean aesthetic of, of early direct-to-consumer websites. And now brands are using animations, stickers, a range of different fonts and font sizes, and sort of these very bright, almost garish color combinations. And it's fun. It's a lot of fun. And I I think we're going to see a lot more of that, especially with new brands that are popping up that are catering to Gen Z, which is the demographic that's really at the forefront of this aesthetic. Very cool. So definitely going to keep an eye out for those, uh, those trends over the next 12 months. You know, one of the things that you also do as well, and as a consultant is you do talk to a lot of brands and try and uncover what those behaviors are, talking to customers and and all of those good things over there. I'd be curious to learn if there's any interesting behaviors that you've found, whether it's in a certain niche or a certain example that you can provide that isn't something that typically people would expect to know. It's really really dependent on the brand and who the customer is. Unfortunately, there is no sort of one size fits all in terms of how you should speak to them and how you should represent your brand visually. The one thing I would say is don't be afraid to experiment. I have been guilty of this myself in my own brand, just staying very, very stringent to what I think that people want from me. And it is not to be totally repetitive, but through these conversations at Of Mercer allowed me to experiment a little further. And I, I just highly recommend brands testing things out as much as possible and um, allowing themselves to be a little playful. And you never know what's going to truly resonate with the customer without giving it a try. That's a great quote over there. I think we're definitely going to have to save that one and share that one out because that is so true that you always got to be experimenting. I know a lot of brands do it on on ads, but it's not just about ads. It's about everything that your brand is is working on and doing. Um, so, you know, as we're coming to the end of the podcast over here, one last question that I have to ask for you on kind of like the the tactical strategy stuff is from your experience, you know, working with brands and, and kind of talking about strategy and, and all those things. And I'm and you've seen so many brands, what kind of makes a brand or, or product special? What are, what are some of those things that you kind of look at or you tell others to look at or, or kind of do exercises for to, find what makes a brand or product special. In terms of product, I get very excited about products that are offering something distinctly different than what's already on the market. 
I'm not going to name names, but we've all seen these categories that are hyper-saturated with, you know, 15 to 20 different direct-to-consumer brands. So I'm very interested in brands that are doing something that is not really at the forefront of the direct-to-consumer community. Like, I've profiled Starface, and they were one of the first brands in the U.S. to make pimple patches that are fun and visible and, you know... They're talking about skincare without being judgmental or or trying to hide acne. And I think that perspective coupled with the product is really interesting. And that also is aligned with how I feel about brands that are doing interesting things in general with their branding and messaging, having a distinct point of view. You know, it goes to this new trend of like being more playful and bold with with your visual identity. People want to see who you are and really working to define that as best you can. And then, you know, while still being a little playful and experimenting with what works and seeing what doesn't as well is is incredibly useful in creating a brand that people will really respond to. Yeah, I love that advice. And that's just great advice over there. I know you mentioned one brand while you were just talking right now. What are some of your other favorite brands that you're paying attention to or you think other founders should also be paying attention to? Another one that I love is Topicals. And that's another Gen Z focused skincare brand. Um, In terms of community, I mentioned Little Spoon is doing an amazing job and a women's healthcare brand called Modern Fertility has built incredibly active and engaged group of people and is providing a space for people to engage on topics that are not necessarily comfortable for them to engage with in other places. I love a lot of what's happening in the CPG space with brands like Ugly Drinks, again, being really fun and playful with these more health-focused um, health focused drinks. And all of the brands that are creating this, you know, a strong identity for themselves, for instance, I just wrote about this brand called Ruby, and they've built the Rubyverse, which is this whole ridiculous narrative <laughs> with a cast of characters in space all revolving around this product that's a hibiscus drink. And I love that type of imagination. That's awesome. And that connects to what you were talking about, having that distinct point of view over there or or kind of the way that you envision your brand. Yeah. But all great examples. We'll definitely link to some of those in the show notes to anyone that's listening can go ahead and check it out. But Aja, it's been an awesome podcast. Really appreciate having you on here. Definitely a lot of knowledge dropped on this episode. Before I go ahead and let you go, I'm going to pass the mic over to you one last time. What's next for you? And if you want to share some links to where people can kind of connect and learn more about you and potentially even subscribe to your newsletter, that would be great as well. Yeah, for sure. Uh, In terms of the newsletter, which you can... It's called For the Love. You can subscribe at asiasinger.substack.com. And my name is A-J-A-S-I-N-G-E-R.substack.com. I am working on a really tactical multi-piece project 
about launching launching brands that I think should be really interesting and helpful for founders. So I'm super excited about that. And in terms of work, continuing working on some projects with exciting direct-to-consumer brands launching. And I'm also working on a project with my husband that is helping individuals with their brand identity and content creation in order to raise their public profile. So that's sort of a, a different take on you know some of the skills that I've gained in my brand and creative career. So those are kind of the immediate things that I'm working on at the moment. Very cool. Lots of things in the works over there and uh, <laughs> lots of things to check out as well. Aja, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. For everyone that's listening, hope you found this episode valuable. If you did, please feel free to drop a quick rating and subscribe to the podcast. And then we'll see you next time. Thanks again for joining us, Aja. Thank you.